0: I'd like to thank Ring Central for sponsoring and making this show possible. Without Ring Central, this wouldn't be happening. Ring Central has been a big part of Teleris for years. In fact, last year was our top booking UCAS provider. If you haven't engaged with Ring Central and made them a part of your strategy, please reach out to them now. Welcome to another edition of Business Transformations. My guest today, Brett Hickenlooper, principal of Sumo. Brett, thank you for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Adam.
0: So, uh, Brett, local guy here, homegrown hero. I can see the mountains behind you here in Salt Lake. Uh, you built this business over the last 18 years. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, why did you start Sumo?
1: Um, I started Sumo um, mostly because I was a telecom sales guy. And uh, I got tired of the rat race, got tired of Monday morning meetings, uh, quotas resetting every month, uh, the whole chase, uh, hero today, uh, zero tomorrow. Um, and got tired of that. And, and I'd be lying if I said that's honestly the only reason why I started it. I started it because I got laid off. And uh, I shiver to think what would have happened if I had kept my job I don't think I ever maybe would have had the courage to start Sumo but I got laid off I got a six-month severance package uh had a whole bunch of money in the bank that uh Missy and I had saved up we were still in our starter home and thought you know I'm young why I was young back then um And and uh, I thought, why not? Uh, let's give it a shot. I felt like I had nothing to lose. If I wasn't able to pull it off, I could certainly go uh, get a sales job again. And so the timing was right in 2002, it was right when the dot-com bubble burst. Um, and a lot of people were looking to save money and that's what telecom agents did. Just uh, talk to people about their bills and told them we could save them money and certainly had plenty of providers that we could pull into the mix to show people how we could save them money. And anyway, my first year, I think I made five grand Um, year two. I made about 50 grand and and uh, I've probably told you this before, Adam, I think it took about seven years until I was able to replace my income that I made at Quest uh, before I was laid off.
0: So that's an important point. I don't think many people understand. I think a lot of people look in our industry. You know, they're working for a
1: supplier, they're
0: a direct rep or whatever else. And look over and they see successful agents like you and they think, I could do that. But I don't think most people know what went on during those seven years. In fact, when you and I talked, you mentioned selling the toys. Like you you actually had to get rid of some things and trim down your lifestyle
1: substantially. Absolutely. We had camper trailers that were paid for, motorcycles that were paid for, guns, um, all kinds of things that... That were just assets of ours. And as we began to run out of money a year, 18 months into our, uh, this experiment of starting Sumo, we ran out of money in it. It just, uh, every month we sold something or, or every few months, you know, we sold a camper trailer and we had about maybe four or six months worth of mortgage payments and food. Um, and then that ran out. We sold a truck. Uh, and we had another three or four months of mortgage payments and food um, and, and other things. But it was, it, was, uh, it was a really tough time and my wife was very supportive and uh, somehow we made it. We stayed in our little starter home for 11 years, probably longer than we wanted to. Um, my whole family made sacrifices. My boys had two XR70 motorcycles, two boys, and uh, that was about the last thing we sold. I think I got between the two of those motorcycles, I covered one more month of mortgage payments um, and and got rid of those. So um, yeah, it was something, uh, you know, we definitely went from, uh, I had a very successful career. I was making good money and walked away from that to chase this dream. And in hindsight, uh, knock on wood, I was able to pull it off. Um, and sometimes I call that uh, naivety or, uh, you know, blind ambition. Um, whatever it was, it worked and other people can do it. They just have to realize, look, you're going to, you know, it's going to be a sacrifice. Um, it's going to take time to build up this business. I just and, I don't uh, think people
0: understand how long the sacrifice is. I mean, in fact, one of the things you told me is you traded your gun. You, you mentioned a gun.
1: You actually traded yeah. that for rent. Yeah, don't turn me in anywhere. I'm not sure there was legitimate paperwork on that. <laughs> but um, yeah, for sure. I had a, I had an office because I felt like that made me more legitimate to have an office, business cards, um, a website. Uh, I use the word we a lot. Uh, at Sumo, we you know, help you save money. Um, and it was just me. Uh, but it did reach a point where not just covering my mortgage, but covering the basic uh you know costs of running a business. Um and I was renting some space in Salt Lake City at a data center in Salt Lake and went to the guy I was renting from and said, hey, I can't pay your rent for the next couple of months, but I have a gun um that I'm happy to trade. And he was a gun guy and and was all over it. So um yeah, bought me another three months I think of of rent there. And uh that was just an ongoing exercise. Of, of just trying to make it to the next turn in the business and as you know and many agents out there know once you sell something it's a long wait uh, to get paid the first time once the pay starts coming um, and it starts to layer in with different sales that you have then you start to get more comfortable but it's the wait between the initial sales and when you finally get paid that um, there's certainly a gap there that people have to figure out
0: absolutely so, so you go through that phase, you go through the starving years, you, um, you you reestablish your life.
1: How long was it before you hired your first employee? I was a one-man show for 10 years. Um, and after 10 years, I thought, well, I could use some help with some bookkeeping. I didn't really have a background in finance. Um, and I thought at least that. So I hired a bookkeeper. And uh, from there, you know, I uh, started for a few years was really, really successful as a one-man show and brought on a ton of accounts and a ton of business and decided it was time that I needed some help. I actually realized at one point that um, I was passing on opportunities. I was overlooking opportunities because I didn't have the bandwidth or time to chase the new opportunities. I was too busy just managing, you know, what I had already sold. Um, so I thought if I was going to grow the business, we've we've talked before, Adam, about this this concept of imposter sin, syndrome, yeah. yeah, and feeling like um, we're tricking the world because I'm a one-man show. I'm running a business. I'm trying to convince my customers that uh, Sumo is something that they need, and yet it's only me. It's it's me opening trouble tickets. It's me fixing billing problems. Um, and it's me doing all the sales, and uh, that just wasn't sustainable. It's not a long-term strategy. Uh, you can do it, and certainly I had the skill set to do it, and I was I was fine doing it for a while, but it wasn't scalable. It wasn't something that I could grow. And I finally realized that I need to quit being an imposter or a pretender and approach this like a real business. And that was a, a turning point for me. Was starting to hire some people and trust them to do some things that I was doing myself.
0: And a big turning point. So that was one of the decisions I found in your story that was really interesting is you, you made this decision at a point in time that I, I, I'm going to build a business. This is not just going to be yeah. a lifestyle. I'm going to build a business, including a culture and, you know, a, a, a strong organization and good people, not just any employees, but good people that you were able to attract. Um, which was a a big pivot that I've seen in your business. You also made another pivot, which was in terms of the product set. Uh, You went from network and then got into data center. Why did you make that decision?
1: Yeah, I saw uh, the network pricing um, just dropping through the floor. Um, It didn't seem like uh, networks of the past were as expensive as (laughs) networks of the future. internet pricing was dropping through the floor network pricing was dropping the technology was changing it shifted from point to point private line circuits to frame relay to atm to mpls and and with every turn there was this sense of customers trying to save money on that and and just driving price points down Um, and we could add value by helping them again right size their network but I, i think that if if the value that we're pushing in the agent world is just saving people money, um, it it doesn't have legs, it won't last. Um, we have to figure out ways to really provide value. And I thought, Colo was one way I could carve out a niche. When I started selling Colo, there weren't a lot of people doing it. And I had a couple of customers that um, liked me, that had bought network from me, that were looking at Colo and on on their coattails maybe, Um, I traveled the world. I went everywhere, Um, China, Japan, Singapore, Australia, all over Europe, I've toured more data centers than for example, most Equinix employees, I've been in more of their data centers than most of their employees. Um, So really carved out an expertise and had a commitment early on that if I was gonna pitch something to a customer, I was gonna be an expert. And you become an expert, not just by studying, being a bookworm and attending trainings, you do it by engaging with customers. The best way to learn is on the street, um, pitching that to a customer. And so um, I just decided I was gonna do that. And what I saw in Colo was a customer would move two racks into a space and without fail, that that would grow. Their need for more power and more space would, would expand over the course of a year or two or three. So it's a land and expand product. Whereas network and things like that, um, they're one and done. Uh, You you sell a network and the network gets deployed and installed and maybe somebody adds a site in Beijing or they add a site in Frankfurt or uh, a site in Atlanta and and you get a little uptick when they add a site and that's great. But Colo to me seemed like something that was, again, we could carve out a niche. We could be special. We could be experts and um, help somebody find the right solution for them. And once they're in, uh, they're in, they stay. Um, even if, if you know, it becomes painful to stay in a facility, it's hard for a customer to move. And that doesn't make the product great. The product is, is space and power. The power should stay on. And if the power stays on, customers are are not inclined to want to move it. So it's been a great product for us and something that's contributed quite a bit to Sumo's recurring revenue.
0: So you you established yourself, you're the expert on data center, you're all over the world advising companies, and then you did it again. You decided to go all in on contact center. So things are great in data center, but why contact center? Why were you attracted to that and once again just went all in to really changing the identity of your company to, we are contact center experts. Tell us about that. Yeah, honestly,
1: Adam, I wish I could tell you I had an aha moment in the middle of the night and said, we're going to do contact center. Um, But it wasn't that. I had uh, some of my customers that have been longtime customers of Sumo that um, started to talk to uh contact center platforms like nice and contact and five nine and genesis and all the others that are out there and uh honestly it was a knee-jerk reaction of mine that said over my dead body is someone else gonna sell my customer technology services um, just because i'm not familiar with them i'm gonna get familiar with them Uh, and so i sensed you know a lot of times the noise and and the direction that we had i've always said we sell what's selling what are our customers buying? And peek around the corner and, and go wide and deep in your accounts. And you begin quickly to understand that they might be buying some services you're not selling. And, and contact center was one of them. And we had Tolaris, we had, uh, you guys had a contact center team there that kept saying, you guys should get in this business. It's just like Colo, it's land and expand. You guys would be great at it. And For a while I was reluctant and mostly because UCAS, I couldn't figure out who was who in the UCAS business. And um, it just felt very similar to that uh, to me early on. But then we engaged with a few of our customers on some contact center opportunities. And very quickly, I remember the day I sat with my team and said, you know what guys, we're gonna make a pivot. We're gonna be contact center experts. And uh, we committed the team, all of us at Sumo together to attend every training that was available on every platform, if they had certifications available. We let you guys know and everybody in the industry know that uh, we were committed to the space and it's paid dividends for us. We made that pivot about three or four years ago, Adam, if you remember, yep. and, and made a big splash. I mean, we've, we've been to Nice and Contact, Presidents Clubs, um, we've sold Five Nine. We've sold In uh, in, uh, in Contact. We've sold Talkdesk, Sharpen, Serenova, Genesis, um, and the list goes on. Um, and here, we've become very familiar. Here's here what I love:
0: is that you made that declarative statement. You made that commitment, but you guys weren't contact center experts. It, it was really an intention no. that w- we're going
1: to go make this happen. Yes. Um, and you know we have some core values um, that we live by at Sumo and things that everybody kind of enrolls in. And one of them is to be experts at the products and services we recommend. Um, Adam, we've talked about security and, and Sumo has done some security deals, but it's not our core competency. It's not something where we can stand in front of a customer and say that we're experts of this product and and contact center wasn't either for us early on we did make a declaration and just said we are going to be experts at contact center solutions and fully fully committed to the space and it's paid dividends again it's just like colo it's land and expand if somebody needs 100 seats odds are that they're not going to only need 75 or 50 a year from now they're going to need more um and it just a beautiful business for us to kind of get in and then there's a lot of uh ancillary services that you can plug into contact center workforce management analytics gamification all these things are plugins and add-ons and we're finding ways to sell products to our customers that I just never dreamed um that I would do if you asked me 19 years ago if I thought I'd be selling software um there's no way I would have even <laughs> believed it. so
0: so so you go you you make the decision after 10 years of slugging it out, I'm going to be a business, I'm going to hire, and I'm going to expand to building this culture and an environment that you've got today. Then you decide I'm changing the product set to data center. Then you decide we're going to be contact center experts. What's next for Sumo?
1: Yeah, you know, Adam, you know, by deciding that we're going to do these things doesn't mean that we recklessly abandon the other things that we do well. We sell network rolling out of bed. Um, And if you look historically, the makeup of Sumo's base of revenue, there's quite a bit of it that is still network. And and we're still quoting and selling network. And and we will, Uh, we're still quoting and selling Colo. Um, I anticipate over the next two or three years uh, that contact center will be our biggest growth uh, channel, that we'll be selling more contact center than any other product. If you look at our funnel today, um, how, if you were to, divide our funnel up by product, uh, contact center is probably 70% of our funnel, our active working funnel. And I anticipate that being, uh, as long as, as contact center uh, is, is the next big thing, it's gonna be the next big thing for us. But we're peeking around the corner. I anticipate in the next three to five years, there's gonna be more, there's gonna be something else uh, that's come, gonna come around and surprise the channel um but we're committed sumo's going to grow two or three times our size in the next couple of years we're going to hire experts we're going to hire people that can present themselves to customers as trusted advisors as consultants and experts um and and the channel has a ton of potential for that i think uh early on in the channel it was everybody would admit that it was a relationship game and uh, guys got in gals got into customers because they had a relationship with someone that's still the case in sales in general but customers want more from us in the channel than just a relationship or a golf buddy Um, they want us to provide value and we're committed to that at sumo we're committed to building an organization that regardless of what customer engages us on network or colo or contact center or UCAS, we're gonna provide value. Um, and not just on the front end, we're building an organization that's very committed to implementation and being part of implementation and part of ongoing support. And, and that's something that's that's new to a lot of customers. A lot of, of people that grew up in the channel knew that they had to just sell something and then go sell something else. It's how we make money. You have to just keep selling. But uh, I'm interested and the growth I see in Sumo is gonna be in our service organization um, and how we service customers, both through implementation. Contact center is very complex. Implementations are messy. And uh, we have a team of people here that are committed to um, seeing it through for our customers and making our providers keep promises Um, and if they do, that's a long-term solid base of revenue for Sumo. And it's something because it's so complex to sell. We don't want to reinvent the wheel every two or three years. We just want to make sure that the implementations go well and our customers are happy and that will make that business sticky.
0: Well, Brett, great story. I I love the background. I love the deliberateness that you made in making those critical decisions along the way. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and thank you for your partnership.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Adam.
0: That's all we have today on Business Transformations. Thanks for joining us.